Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back again with you guys for another show for the first of a brand new series uh, on not just TGT, but also on Harry. Do you want to take that away? That side of things. The Chronicles of Aguna. Yeah, sir. There you go. <laughs> I felt weird me saying it over you. Um, but effectively, yeah, me and Harry have been, obviously, we did a show, I think it must have been last week, uh, on your channel. And we were reading through some of the comments and obviously a lot of the live comments as well. And you guys seem to enjoy the dynamic between me and Harry and having a chat about all things Arsenal and, and thought, why don't we do this more regularly? So this is us doing that exact thing. Um, effectively, the concept is, is that these shows will alternate each week. One week it will be uh, on here and the following week it will be over on the Chronicles of Aguna uh, channel as well. But all of the shows will be available uh, in audio form on both of our audio platforms. Uh, we'll be sending each other across the, the audio files. So if you only listen on audio-only platforms, you'll be able to listen to all of the shows uh, on those Spotify, SoundCloud, and et cetera, all the big stuff like iTunes. So, uh, so yeah, but Harry, uh, I'm glad that we've managed to sit down and, and kind of get this organized because it, people seem to enjoy somehow what we end up chatting about. Yeah, it's great. I'm really glad that we're doing it as well. As you said, there's been some great feedback when we've done shows together before. So it's fantastic to get this on the way. And um, it shouldn't be a problem for anyone because they should be subscribed to both channels anyway. So it exactly. should be it should exactly. be very, very easy. But yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah. Link to Chronicles of Aguna is in the description. So please make sure that you are subscribed to Harry's side of things to uh, to make sure that you don't miss episode two, which will be organized for next week and that you're following both of our accounts so that you can be notified of when that will be. We aren't setting a designated time because we are both very busy with our lives so uh, it's probably going to be uh, as and when and we'll let you know in good time when they are going to be but do drop a like on today's video and subscribe to the channel and the Chronicles of Aguna if you haven't done so already but to kick things off it is quite apt that we do this on the day of Mikel Arteta's press conference Harry which means there's lots of juicy Arsenal stuff to get through and as is with Arsenal and Arsenal fans, one of the biggest kind of things that we love to discuss is players that aren't even at the club right now <laughs> and are away uh, doing their own thing. And it was almost apt that William Saliba comes up the week that we play Leicester because, of course, Leicester own the, their own equivalent, if you like, and Wesley Fofana, who's currently out. And he's often used as a bit of a, a measure uh, to talk about uh, William Saliba because, of course, he's come into the Premier League and done very well and been rated very highly. But... How did you find Arteta's comments surrounding Saliba and were you encouraged by what he said? I think he said exactly what I expected him to say, if I'm being honest. I think Mikel Arteta's becoming slowly very good at managing to kind of fend off questions in the way that Arsene Wenger used to do it or, or previous kind of uh, experienced coaches have kind of dealt with the media in the past. I think he handles it really, really well. I found him at times in the past a little bit I found him come to, to come across a little bit arrogant at times in press conferences. And that's kind of yeah. wound me up a little bit, especially a little bit earlier on in his tenure when I was there, I was having wobbles around whether or not he was the right man to take us forward. And then I'd sit and watch the press conference and I'd get frustrated because you're not giving me anything from those press conferences. Now I feel like he's given us a little bit. If you read in between the lines and I think he's learned to kind of manage the media a little bit better, but mm. Specifically on Saliba, I think I think he said exactly what I expected him to say. I don't think he would, you know, commit one way or the other to 
Saliba being a big part of this team next season or to the idea or the possibility that we might decide to move him on. I think it's I think it's something that is very, very much open. And I think a lot of it depends on the player as well. And that's why even if Arteta wanted to be completely frank and open about what the future holds for him, mm. I don't think he can yet because I don't think he knows. No, I I get really frustrated, I think, with the, the kind of cult following, I suppose, that Saliba's kind of built up. And Arteta can seemingly do no good with this situation for some, and they've kind of made their bed with the situation. And I saw a lot of tweets basically criticising Arteta for, for some of the stuff that he said about Arteta, about Saliba, sorry, in that press conference. I got so confused because... He said the number of times he's like, he's our player. And he, he kept on saying that he's our player. And he said that in multiple press conferences, even in the summer, he was saying he's our player. And I mean, we heard from Fabrizio Romano previously a few months, I think it was ago, that uh, he said that Arsenal will still very much have Saliba in their plans. And Edu and uh, and their loan uh, kind of consultant was also at the game when Marseille played PSG. Like they're actively going and watching Saliba play. Uh, it, for me, there's there's no doubt that they, they're caring, that they are keeping track of this. But what do you make of kind of the, the social side of things and the, the reaction on social media to, to his comments? It's mad. It, it really is. And I think you hit the nail on the head when you said that Saliba's got this cult following. Mm. And I, too, can't understand where it's come from. And I think I was talking about this on, on the Chronicles of Aguna the other day. I do feel like a lot of it is people wanting a reason to have a go at the club and at Mikel Arteta. Mm. And although I accept that the way they handled the situation with Saliba last season was totally wrong and unprofessional and silly and stupid in the sense of not registering him. And then they tried to send him out on loan and it was done too late and it didn't happen. And then he had to wait till January. I think all of that was a complete mess. And I think you've got every right to criticise Arsenal for that. But to kind of pretend that we know a lot about Saliba or that we are certain he's going to walk into the team and make a massive difference is weird. I, I, ju I just mm. don't get it. The guy's never played a competitive game for Arsenal, yet there seems to be this, this kind of clamour for him all the time. And I, I don't really see it. I think I get it. A lot of it stems, like Matt saying in the chat, some of it stems from people being fed up with players that we currently have at the club. But I think if you study Saliba's performances, and I, and I mean really study them, I mean watch them from start to finish, week in, week out, you can quite clearly see that there are quite a few inconsistencies in his game. And for every brilliant game, there's a not-so-brilliant game. Mm. And he seems very up and down to me. And on that basis, I think Mikel Arteta is right not to be trusting of him to be a first-choice centre-back at the club. Now, if he's going to stay at a club like Arsenal and not be a first-choice centre-back in a season without European football, Without the Europa League, where we tend to rest players and, and play our fringe players and still manage to get to a certain point in the competition, I think that he would have just suffered again. So I think this was the right move. And therefore, I, I struggle to understand why people looking at it from the outside are really anti the idea of Saliba not being at the football club right now. If he has a good season... And, and comes back next season a much better player and something closer towards the finished article, mm. we will benefit from that as a football club. Nobody else.
I didn't think that he was ever going to pick him this season. So I was so so much of an advocate to see him go out on loan. Not that I didn't believe that he could get minutes for Arsenal. I think he was of a level when he in this summer where he could have still played for Arsenal, when he could have developed at Arsenal. But the, the, the fact of the matter was is that Arsenal were interested in bringing in a centre-back and spending upwards of 50 million quid on a centre-back. And they got their man in Ben White. They gave him Saliba's number, which you know didn't really help the, the situation on that end because it kind of gave... People, I suppose, are stick to beat the club and Arteta with about, you know, putting all their cards on the table for, for Ben White. But he very much just can't really do anything right now. He's, he's over in Marseille. It's only October. You can't, for me, you can't expect Arteta to come out and say he is going to be in the team next season because things can change. Things can happen drastically between now and the end of the season. He's not here. He's not going to speak on his behalf, and they want to sit down and have a discussion with him and see where his head's at, because it's not been plain sailing. He has had his issues behind the scenes. There have been things that have gone on that aren't particularly great, and so unless that they have 100% kind of chemistry and are of the same mind about where they're going to go forwards, he can't speak on, on both people's behalves, and I think he just kind of tackled the question as best he really could. But speaking of Ben White, he might actually be out tomorrow. Um, he's he's not trained, we're told, and he's been suffering with this illness. I was surprised that he was in the, the Leeds lineup, to be honest. I thought it would be someone else. I thought Chambers might start alongside holding. But it, it seems to be now that in that game, we've now got a choice uh, with, with Leicester. We can either use Tommy Asu as kind of a, a right-sided centre-back and put either a Cedric or a Chambers at right-back, or we can go like-for-like, like, swap out Ben White and bring in, you'd imagine, a Chambers withholding probably still injured. So how would you tackle this and and what do you think is, is going to be the damage of not having Ben White in, in the team? If he is indeed out, then I think it's a big blow because I think we've started to find some consistency with that back line. And that's obviously helped in terms of improving us defensively. Relationships are key at centre-back, especially probably more than anywhere else on the pitch. I think it's it's going to be a big blow if indeed he does miss out. I think for me, it's it's about the profile of, of centre-back that Ben White is. You know, I think Gabriel is a lot more interested in kind of getting in into the the physical scraps into the action if you like and Ben White just kind of likes to be a little bit more detached from that side of the game but receive the ball progress the ball um I, I thought against Leeds he was very very good at carrying the ball into the midfield area as well so I think that they're they're a different profile of defender and I'm not sure that we have another defender in the the squad that has that same skill set that Ben White does so that worries me a little bit because I think his ability to progress the ball, although I don't think we've seen it as much as we hoped we'd see it when he first signed, I think is something that's key to the way we're wanting to play at the minute. So I think it's a big blow. In terms of what we do to kind of cater for that, for me, the idea of moving Tommy Asu out, in, out from right back and into centre back, it's a tempting one. It really, really is because we know he can play there. But it also means... You're changing two positions instead of one. And at a time where we're starting to see some stability and consistency in our back line, I would be reluctant to make two changes, essentially. So to ask Tommy Asu to start to work on a partnership or have to work on a partnership with Gabriel and then put a much weaker, in my opinion, right back mm. in Cedric or Chambers at right back means that we've got two positions where there's a big question mark as opposed to just the one. So I'd be desperate to see in the event that Benjamin White, I must say. Yeah, that, yeah. Apologies, Greenhampton in the chat there. Yeah. We uh, we got that. <laughs> Apologies. 
Uh, I must say that in the event that if Benjamin White is unavailable, that I would prefer to see just a like-for-like swap at centre-back rather than us sort of messing around with the entire team. I don't think Mm. Leicester's the place to be trying that. No, I think you hit the nail on the head. It's a case of of a two-for-one. You either make the decision to put two question marks down on two positions by swapping Tomiyasu, which it's not as big of a question mark. We know he can play at centre-back. It's not like you're moving someone into an unorthodox role. He's played centre-back several times and does for for his country as well. But... It's not taking place at Arsenal. It's an unknown quantity still, and and we haven't got any evidence to go off that at Premier League level. So it is, for me anyway, it would be the right choice to bring in, say, a Chambers into that position. I mean, there there is an alternative, third option, which is you change the structure of the sides and you go to a back three and you say Tommy Asu goes in to the team with, say, Gabriel at central centre-back. If Tierney turns out to be fit, which Mikel Arteta said that there is the possibility that Tierney could be fit. He could either go in at left centre-back and then you could play Tavares as kind of a left wing-back role. So there's the option for, for that to take place if if other players are indeed fit. But that, again, raises up more questions and uh, creates more unknowns for this season. Leicester, obviously, are a side that have proven to, to really have kind of turned around their, their form this season after some really up and down moments at the beginning of the campaign and a win against Brentford is is impressive because not many teams are managing to do that this season we know that very much more than more than most uh, we've then seen them beat Manchester United which you would argue right now isn't the biggest of achievements based on how they're getting on um, but they've really turned things around in Europe as well and, and are trying to get back to, to getting in that top two and, and qualifying for the knockout stages so we can't take this game lightly and so if I turned to you and said We've got Liverpool in in our third game after this one. If I said you can have four points from Leicester and Watford, how would you feel about that? I would take it. I would take it. I've been banging on all week about how I feel like a draw at Leicester would be a good result. It's a result I'd be content with. Obviously, it depends on how they get, you know, if you go there and you get battered. (laughs) You're going to get dumped over that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, but if you go out there and you get battered and played off the park and you leave with a draw, you're saying, well, you know, we got away with that. If you go there and you're the superior side and you you don't take all three points, then obviously there'll be a feeling of disappointment. So it depends on how the game pans out and and sort of plays out. But for me, I think you've got to be realistic about where this Arsenal team are at, right? We lost the first three games of the season. It was crisis mode, meltdown, sack the manager, sack the board, sack them all, get rid of everybody. <laughs> and we're getting relegated this season. And then we we started to turn it around. But although we've gone eight games unbeaten now in all competitions, I, th- I still think there is a lot of room for improvement. And I still think this is a team that are going to hit brick walls over the course of the season. And there will be knockbacks and setbacks. And I think as a fan base, the best thing we can do is prepare ourselves for them. Mm. And so that we do not lose sight every time we hit one of these brick walls of what the actual goal is and what the project is and where it is that we're going. Because we have signed a load of, of, of young players, players of a certain age profile that will stand us in good stead for the future. However, that comes with limitations. And the biggest limitation for me around young players is always consistency. And I feel like if you're going to sit there and, and and set the bar so high for a group that have shown nothing to suggest that they're at that point where that bar can be raised to that level, then you're inevitably going to be disappointed, frustrated, upset, angry. And, and you know, you're going to spoil every single weekend. Leicester are a side much further along their journey than we are. 
They've mm. missed out on the top four narrowly in the last two seasons. Although their start this season has been a little bit up and down, we can all accept that in terms of the two projects, they are much further down the line than us. And therefore, going there and coming away with a point, I think, has to be seen as a respectable result. Now, if you then don't go and beat Watford, then obviously you're looking back and you feel like over the course of those two games, you needed to get more. And it can be frustrating. But give Arsenal a chance to cock it up against Watford first, is what I'm <laughs> going to say, basically, yeah. rather than really kind of homing in on them if indeed we we only leave Leicester tomorrow with a point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I asked the chat box what they're thinking um, about this, asking if you would take four points from the next possible six. Uh, O'Malley says yes. Matt Thornton says six is very possible, but four would be a good return. Omar says four points. I would take it without a second thought. Absolutely, says Dublin Guna. Uh, Alex says no, six points is a must uh, going for that six points. I'd be interested for those that do think that six points is the be-all and end-all from these next two games. If we do end up getting four, how does that make you feel about the club? Because I know that there can be some very extreme views. And if just dropping two points in, in two games against Leicester City and Watford, I, I think that is quite harsh. O'Malley says eight points out of 12 and continue the unbeaten run is good. John says, I just want to state the record that I would take six points from the next two games. I mean, everyone would love to take six points, John. We would absolutely do that. But if I'm offering you four right now, would you take them? Uh, Sean says, we're good enough to take all six. Uh, Matthew says, you don't know who you will lose or win against. This is sports. We need to learn that. And and you're never guaranteed anything in football. When we, I mean, I remember, uh, Harry, when we lost to to Liverpool after, you know, playing a fairly decent game at Anfield, and yet there was still a big meltdown. I think that was Arteta's first league game at Anfield, and we lost, I think it was, what, 2-0 or 2-1 or 3-1 at that time. I, think I remember Andrew Robertson coming in at the back post and scoring an equaliser after Lacazette got a very fortuitous yep, yep. goal. Um, and we play Liverpool in three, three matches' time, and obviously when we do our show ahead of that, we'll talk about it more. But can you imagine us getting battered, because I can, with, with them being very, very good and having who I consider to be the best player in the world right now in Mohamed Salah. Do you expect there to be an, more of an element of understanding around that game if we get battered and, you know, come out of that, say, in, in a similar style to Man United, even if we were to get four of the next six points in those games against Leicester and Watford? I think our season will not be defined by the fixtures against Liverpool, Chelsea and Manchester City. Because we can all agree that they're on a different level to us. So anything you get from those games is a bonus to me. Now, that's not to say that I don't hope and expect Arsenal to close that gap eventually. But I'm realistic enough to know that that gap right now is huge. And therefore, if we did get beaten heavily, I think, yes, there will be disappointment at that time. There will be frustration at that particular point. And you will be upset and, and distraught about it in the aftermath of the game. And if you've got criticisms of the team and what went wrong that day, then you should absolutely have the opportunity to voice those concerns and those frustrations. But it shouldn't do a great deal, in my opinion, in determining whether you you think that this team are moving in the right direction or not. Equally, the flip side of that is if you go to Anfield and get a draw, that doesn't mean that Arsenal were the finished article because they went to Anfield and didn't lose. You mm. can't be so reactionary off the back of single fixtures. I, I genuinely do believe that. Manchester United signed all the great players in the summer that they did. Cristiano Ronaldo, Jadon Sancho, Rafael Varane. What happened to them against Liverpool last weekend? 
They got absolutely hammered. And while I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is useless and should have been binned <laughs> off a while ago, it's not because they lost to Liverpool or because they lost to Liverpool heavily. Obviously, that could that felt like to many the the final nail in the coffin. Mm. But Liverpool are capable of doing that to anybody. And if you can't see that, and you you know you're blind on that side, and if you think that Arsenal are capable of closing the gap on them just over the course of a few weeks, then again, you know, you're, I think you're looking in the wrong place and, and you're inevitably going to be frustrated. I, it is that case of almost some, maybe it's too harsh to say wanting failure, but I say that I, I've seen tweets out there that want Arteta to, to, to there's drop. Loads. There's loads. There, there is loads. I don't know why I'm tiptoeing around it. There is loads. Why? Why Why do you think there's loads? Why is there all of this? Why is there so much determination for Arteta to fail, do you think? Same as what it was with, uh, you know, the opposite with Emery. I think, you know, you know, when Emery took over from Arsene Wenger, all the people that were shouting from the rooftops mm. that Arsene Wenger was, was awful and was a disgrace and needed to be sacked, they didn't want to except that Unai Emery wasn't getting it right because they'd look like hypocrites having called for Arsene Wenger's head. And then those people that called for Arsene Wenger's head backed Unai Emery. And now because Mikel Arteta's come in, they don't want mm. Mikel Arteta to succeed because they backed Unai Emery. So I feel like a lot of that happens in our fan base. Not so much with, um, you know, necessarily, you know, people that that simply follow the club. But I think people that work in the kind of, work that we do, whether that be on YouTube, on podcasts or whatever, they pick a stance and they stick to that stance and they don't ever want to change it. And they don't want to accept when even all the evidence is pointing in one way. Um, I think that it's okay for people to have different opinions, but I think there is a lot of agenda towards Mikel Arteta. And I don't think he's ever going to be able to shake that. And that's my worry for him because Mm. I was saying this to somebody yesterday Mikel Arteta might not be the man to take Arsenal back to challenging for the Premier League title. And he might not be the man to even take Arsenal back into the Champions League. But if the next man comes along and does it with the core of a side that has been built by Mikel Arteta, Mm. without the dead wood that Mikel Arteta has had to deal with and get out of the club, then Mikel Arteta will have played a role in that and a part in that. And there needs to, there will be a point where the club have a decision to make, where they have to decide whether he's the man to then take us to that next stage. But up until now, a lot of the work he's done is good. It's not always translating into the results that we want as fans, but you've got to see the bigger picture. And when people were calling for Arsene Wenger's head, granted he should have gone because he wasn't going to take us any further, mm. but people failed to see the bigger picture and are now realizing that we've fallen even further behind than we were under him because the bigger picture wasn't looked at, not by the fans, not by the club either, because yeah. the club didn't deal with that exit. You know, it's, it's everything has to be so polarizing nowadays. People have to be one side or the other. You're either, um, vaccine anti-vaccine there's nobody who's in the middle oh, it's funny you say that because clive in the chat has just put it's like brexit um yeah people, perfect. perfect people have a great desire to be right so they are not measuring progress appropriately the desire to be right is a measure uh the desire to be right is greater than just supporting the club yeah completely agree it's it feels like people have to be one way or the other and they'll never buckle one way or the other regardless of what they're seeing unfold in front of them and that's the big frustration I have with with a lot of our fans. If people have a view 
on Mikel Arteta and genuinely do feel that we're not going in the right direction, but can back that up, can mm. make points. I've got no problem with that. I have an issue, though, with Arsenal fans, so-called Arsenal fans, on social media, hoping that the team get beat because they want to see him gone. That, for me, is mad. It's mad. I've seen it with Man United fans only going to Solskjaer as well. I've started to see just through following some 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 United fans or United colleagues of mine at FL and, and the uh, Manchester Evening News and seeing the tweets come out like, I hope we lose against Spurs at the weekend so that Ollie gets sacked. And the, the justification behind it is, and I'll get your thoughts on this, the justification is the same thing for Arteta and Ollie. is they're saying that if... We want, or I say we in very much quotation marks, wanting Arteta or Solskjaer to lose, to get sacked because it's for the benefit of the club. And so that's their reasoning behind that poisonous point of view. It's, I, just, I just can't get my head around it because on the one hand, if you're saying that your club made a grave error in appointing whoever it is that you're calling for to be sacked, mm. whether that's Oli, whether that's Mikel Arteta, what gives you the faith that they're going to make the next appointment or they're going to make the right next appointment? And this is my thing with Arsenal. You know, a lot of the issues I believe that Mikel has had to deal with during his tenure have been issues because of a lack of structure, because of a lack of experience in other areas of the club as well, not just in the management. And I think for that, you have to give him a little bit more leeway. Um, I can never get behind this thing of uh, of thinking... I want my team to lose today because I mm. want this manager sacked. I remember when Unai Emery, uh, just before he got sacked, I was very clear that I didn't think he was the right man to to take us forward. But I still turned up to the Emirates every week and supported the team. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd made my mind up on Unai Emery, but it doesn't mean he could have never changed my mind or that I wasn't going to want the team to be successful. And I think people need to stop being so one way or the other. It's, it's, it's almost like being... It's almost like extremism in football, isn't it? It's One exactly that. Other. It's exactly that. It is extremism in football. Um, it is, you, you summed it up perfectly, it's about that desire not to be wrong. I think it's, I don't know if it's pride, I don't know if it's ego or arrogance. It's just this innate necessity to feel like it's embarrassing to be wrong on something. Like it's as if that being wrong about something is the worst thing that could possibly, I wouldn't be in the position that I am. There's no way that I wouldn't be where I am in life without admitting the mistakes or admitting admit too. Sorry, mate, I just lost you there. Oh, you me? lost me for a second. Can yeah, you hear me now? You a... Yep, you're back. You're back. Oh, sweet. I don't know what's going on. I'm seeing some little, uh, a little, it's spinning around on the screen, buffering. It's what 2021 is all about. <laughs> it's, uh, it, as I say, I think for me, it's about Arteta as well, has got to learn from mistakes. And at times, he's not done that. Um, but it goes for the fan base as well. And I mean, Clive says it's egos. So uh, I, I think it is that. But it's, it's strange um, that we are so attached to our opinions at times. Sean says, pay your Wi-Fi bill. I've got it. It's all wired. I'm not on Wi-Fi. <laughs> I don't know why there would be issues with this. Um, we, I did say we were going to take some questions before we wrap up. So the last 15 minutes of the show, what we'll try and do is we'll go through some of your questions from the chat box. I did ask them 
a while ago. So let me just scroll up and find some of them. Uh, we have a question in from, let's go to, oh, there's so many of you talking now about Brexit. It's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to sift through these Brexit quotes. Um, if you do have a question, do throw it into the chat box. We might have had so many comments since I actually put the message in there about questions. We might have lost them on the screen. But just while I'm finding them, Harry, any final thoughts on that discussion we just had there? Um, just, you know, just people to be nice, you know, to one another, you can have a different opinion, uh, to somebody else. I, you know, I come across this all the time. There's people I work with on a daily basis and we disagree on pretty much everything, but you can still, um, you know, respect one another and have those conversations. And I don't know, I, I never used to find it so bad in this kind of space mm. as I do nowadays with regards to people sort of wanting to have a go and, and taking every opportunity that they can to dig somebody out as you said you know you need to admit when you're wrong sometimes um i've done it in the past you've done it in the past you don't develop and progress um in anything if you don't accept and acknowledge where your shortcomings are so i think it's really really important that we respect each other's opinions even if we disagree and that is quite easy to do um you know if you want to do it it's just the need for people to be outraged all the time and you know, it, it, I think people enjoy the drama sometimes and it makes me question what else they've got going on if if that's what they look forward to at a weekend. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, let's go to uh, James Rowe, who says, with Newcastle and West Ham being either sold or part sold with an option for a full takeover, do you expect to see their other clubs targeted? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? Obviously, Newcastle United have been taken over, but I think with Newcastle, people have to still kind of be realistic in that Newcastle are not going to challenge for the Premier League next season. Like there's a lot of building to mm. be done at Newcastle. West Ham obviously is another interesting one. You know, a club in London, relatively big club, you've got to say, um, big stadium. They're looking to expand that, I think, as well, even more. I think they're attractive propositions to kind of foreign investors who have seen what the Premier League uh, can bring in terms of riches and exposure and all of that. I think you are going to see more clubs being targeted, but I think, um, you know, I think we've got to be not, I, I think we've got to understand that this is the way football's going, but I mm. think also there's a responsibility from the Premier League, in my opinion, to make sure that they are letting the right people into the Premier League. And there's been a lot of debate around the Newcastle thing. Um, and, and I just, you know, on the one hand, I feel like the horse has already bolted We've allowed yeah, Abramovich. We've allowed all these other kind of questionable mm. characters to come in. Newcastle fans are not the the moral gatekeepers of the Premier League, which I get, and they shouldn't be. But there is a responsibility on the Premier League, I think, to protect the values of their product. Yeah, it's that what you said there about the horse bolting is certainly something that gets brought up a lot as kind of the the argument, not for bringing these people in, but the argument to say that how can where's the fairness kind of thing? How can you say yes to these clubs and and no to these ones? And I understand that. And when people say to me, you're a hypocrite because if someone associated with human rights atrocities bought Arsenal, you wouldn't stop supporting Arsenal. And they're right. I am an absolute hypocrite. I would not support, stop supporting Arsenal if someone I didn't agree with took over the club. But I can still sit here and say that I think it's wrong. I can still sit here and have an opinion and say, I'm not, I wouldn't be okay with it. And I would search high and low for a billionaire that isn't in some way associated with any of these issues. And that, it's, it's but you shouldn't be expected that. as well, Tom, to stop supporting your club. Like that's not what no. we're asking of Newcastle supporters. We're asking them to acknowledge, 
acknowledge it. Yeah. And, mm. and, but once they've done that, there's not really a great deal more they can do. So no. for me, the, the heat needs to be on the Premier League and not yeah. the Newcastle United supporters. And I think that's where the lines have been a little bit blurred. I agree. Uh, Alex says, Arteta was sacked amassing 18 points in 13 games. How many points do you think? I think Emery, you mean. Emery was sacked for amassing 18 points in 13 games. How many points do you think Arteta will be uh, on by his 13th game? If less or, or if it's less than that or the same, should Arteta go? Leicester, Watford, Liverpool and Newcastle. I mean, currently, we're just. I'm just checking the table of where things are at right now. We've played what nine games yeah. uh, in the, in the Premier League so far. We're sitting on 14 points. Uh, we've got how many games to fit until we get to that 13 mark? We've got four, four more games, so we'd have to get five um, to beat that that tally. Um, do you think we can get at least five from Liverpool? Uh, Watford, Leicester and Newcastle. I mean, I imagine, I think we can. I think you can get six from at least Watford's and Newcastle on their own. Yeah. But even then, I think the point still stands. It's a fair argument from the other side to say Emery was sacked for getting 18 points from 13 games. Arteta could be on, say, 20 points from 13 games. We could lose to Leicester. We could then obviously lose to Liverpool. Is What's the difference between that? The difference for me is that this is something that the club have decided to go long term on, which means that the the kind of the trigger points for considering a sacking are going to be very, very different. I think when you've backed the manager the way they've backed Mikel Arteta, not just in terms mm. of bringing in players, but getting rid of players as well, paying players off essentially to leave the football club. It suggests to me that the club have got a lot more trust in him, a lot more faith in him and expect him to be here for the longer term. I think you've also got a not look at different seasons and compare them like that. I think you that's a dangerous thing to do. Yeah. I think what you've got to look at is the Premier League table currently. And I think you've got to look at the fact that we're going to be, or we are at the moment, three points off of the top four, which means we're in touching distance of what should be our ultimate objective this season. And in I think now in the Premier League, more teams are taking points of each other than ever. You know, that is mm. that is just part and parcel of the league. We're talking about Newcastle eventually becoming more competitive. West Ham United, too. Uh, you know, they've really improved. Spurs, Leicester in around the, the same bracket as us. And all of a sudden, now you're competing with a number of teams, which makes it difficult and which makes it, you know, even harder to kind of mm. to put these runs of, of games together. I just think for me, it's... You know, with Unai Emery, towards the end, you saw that there was a massive disconnect between him and the players and then the fans as well. It just felt like there was no cohesion in, in what was going on. Mm. One thing you can't say about this current group is that they're not engaged in Mikel Arteta. Aubameyang is running more than he's ever run. The <laughs> effort he's putting in is incredible. And then you've seen the young players and the way they responded to Mikel Arteta and the opportunities he's given them. And I would say as well, that being inside the ground this season, the atmosphere within the Emirates is a lot better as well. Yeah. It's so positive, which is great because we're not where we need to be. But to, to still see that pos uh, positivity and engagement between all parties, I think is encouraging. And that's another reason why you shouldn't, um, you know, you shouldn't pull the trigger on Mikel Arteta based solely on what happens in the next three games, four games, if he gets that points total. I also think, like, with Emery, like, he he completely lost the dressing room. Like, there was no players that were turning around and, you know, were there to support him. Like, we were... I mean, even the, the second string players who are, are barely getting a look in, when Chambers scored that goal against Leeds, the, the camaraderie between them in that celebration 
was just the evidence that there is such a different spirit about this side than there was under Emery. Like under Emery in the last stages of him, there was no way that I could ever predict things turning around. But under Arteta, after a really bad start, he has turned things around. It's not for the first time either. Like we think about the period over Christmas or before yeah. Christmas last season when it was awful, one of the worst Premier League starts we'd had. I think it might have even been one of the worst after like 10 games or something prior to, ironically, this season. Um, but then you look at the way in which we've turned things in that second half of last season. Yes, it didn't start very well this season. I think there are reasons behind that. You look at some of the injuries we've had, but I think the inconsistencies in our performances this season hasn't been enough to convince me that Arteta is yet still the right man to take us forwards. But I can accept all of the the kind of the factors that have influenced some of the issues that we've faced this season. And seeing the, the camaraderie, seeing the pictures after the North London derby, which some cold-hearted people find issue with seeing those pictures in the dressing room. I can't believe that people find issue with those. Um, but that, for me, is a clear, clear difference between Emery's, the, the time under Emery during that points tally and this one. And you do get a sense of if it clicks for Arteta and there's a potential for it to click, then we've got a great foundation of a team. My issue will be come the end of the season, if we're not in the top six again, that for me, is where you have to say, you have to hold your hands and be like, this is not good enough for the third season in a row. I think a change is, is necessary. So I think that's where we'll, we'll probably end up sitting. Do you want to add anything, Harry, on that? Or? No, no. I think you summed it up perfectly. Good stuff. Um, and Nishith uh, says, uh, is Arteta reaching to 50 wins faster than other Arsenal managers, even with such a bad overall form, say that he was kind of a better coach than Emery, considering their experience? Now, he beat Arsene Wenger to 50 wins. And this takes very this gets taken out of context very easily. And you mentioned just a second ago it's very dangerous to compare seasons. But it does kind of highlight it's an interesting stat for anything, isn't it? Yeah, it is interesting. I think a lot of those wins are probably coming Europa League Europa games League. against <laughs> the likes of Dundalk and people like that, with all due respect to them. But yeah, I th- yeah, I think it's it's the thing with stats, Tom, is that you can pick out there are so many stats available to us now as, as football mm. fans and, and football journalists and whatever you want to say that you can always find some to back up your point and your agenda and your side of the argument and so I look at them and I take them in and I you know process them and I will pull them out <laughs> of my back pocket when necessary yep. but ultimately um, you know you have to take all of them I'm not going to say you should take them with a pinch of salt because they're facts but yeah the context of them is very important and you need to remember that when mm. determining whether or not they are, um, you know, they are worthy of, of really highlighting and bringing to the table. Chris Mossing is asking the big question, top four, exclamation mark, exclamation mark, question mark. He goes on to add some context about how Man United are falling apart and, and you're making some points about how important these Leicester and West Ham games could be. But is it beyond imagination to believe that Arsenal could compete for a top four place this season? It's not beyond the imagination. It's not mm. beyond the realms of possibility, but I think it's unlikely. And I think it's unlikely because of what I talked about earlier on. I think the inconsistencies that we have suffered throughout Mikel Arteta's tenure so far make me feel like I can't stick my neck out and say that we're in with a chance of the top four. Again, though, like we were also talking about, my mind can change. And if I see more from this Arsenal team moving forward and, and you know, Manchester United continue with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and the way they're going, then it's not impossible. 
And, you know, there'll be a point where we'll look at it and think maybe we can do this. But I think for me, again, you know, it sounds like I'm trying to make excuses and it sounds like I don't want to commit with regards to what would represent a successful season or not. But at this point in the campaign, it's just about accumulating as many points as we can, ironing mm. out the creases in this team, developing the players that we hope are going to lead this team for many years to come. And when we get to Christmas, I think I'll look at the table in a little bit more detail um, and I'll try and, and kind of then map out what I think would be or constitute a successful season. Just like I wasn't jumping up and down and going crazy when we were bottom of the league, uh, if, you know, at the start of the campaign, I'm not mm. going to go crazy now uh, that we're within touching distance of the top four. I think in time we will see whether Arsenal are, are good enough and capable of being consistent enough. Yeah, these next five games, I think next five or six games are going to be crucial. We've got, obviously, Leicester this weekend. We've got Liverpool in a couple of weeks and then Everton coming up as well and Manchester United. Like There are some really tough games that we're going to have to go through. And, and after the Spurs game, I think we saw a team that had an opportunity to build from that and they failed against Brighton, against Crystal Palace. They failed to build on from that result. They, they, they really kind of flopped in those fixtures and didn't really show anything that they were able to to put forth against Spurs. And this, this game after... Aston Villa and we've built up another good display we've we've tweaked a couple of things we've found a system that that could work for us under Arteta and with the squad that we've got uh, we've we've got a couple of challenges with players being out we were asked one with Tierney out Tavares came in he stepped up Ben White might be out this weekend it's another challenge that we've got to overcome will we see that out as well We'll see about that on Saturday tomorrow, 12.30 p.m. kickoff UK time. Those that are watching in the West, uh, we can only appreciate your commitment because you're going to be waking up very early for uh, for that one. And uh, Chris says, no, nobody answers me about these early 5.30 a.m. matches. Are they on the TV over there? They are indeed on the tellies. And even I know the pubs in, in uh, North America and South America, I assume as well, do open up exceptionally early for Arsenal fans to to travel and meet their uh, fellow Gooners to watch it. It's uh, amazing commitment. And we talk about that for our Eastern listeners that have to get up at ridiculous times uh, when the games are in, I think, in the uh, in the mornings or, or rather in the evenings here. And then it's a ridiculous time over there. So the the uh, commitment from you guys is insane. So uh, thank you for your continued support. We are going to wrap things up uh, there. Uh, thank you ever so much, guys, to everyone that tuned in. I loved it to finish the show with this comment from Spaceman Trooper, who just says, the Arsenal cinematic universe continues to grow ever more intertwined i love this uh, <laughs> seeing more and more channels collaborate and get together and uh, and do their thing but harry uh, i think it's been a great first episode of the canton simu show and uh, tell people where they'll be able to find the next one yeah the next one will be on the chronicles of aguna youtube channel and of course on all the audio platforms uh make sure you subscribe if you haven't done so already it's been great fun great chatting to you as always tom and um yeah, looking forward to the next one. We'll confirm the time and date, I'm sure, on social media in the coming days. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we will get this out to you on a weekly basis. As Tom said, there will be some differences in the times and dates, just depending mm -hmm. on what we got going on with work. But I'm sure um, we will get them out to you and we'll give you plenty of notice. And I look forward to the next one already. Absolutely, yeah. We are committed to try and getting the show to you every single week. But as Harry said there, we're, we're very busy, uh, but uh, we will try and get these out to you. So make sure you're following Harry at Harry Simeon on Twitter and, of course, following the Chronicles of Aguna as well. You can find myself at Tom Cantor Media and at the Guna Talk TV. And we'll be posting, and I'm sure on our shows that we do throughout the weeks, we'll be letting you know when the, the next show will be, when we've decided when that will be. Oh, look, timing. The phone's ringing and it's the missus. So it's a good time to uh, oh, wrap You better go up. then. <laughs> <laughs> Have a 
fantastic evening, people. We will see you again very, very soon. I hope you've enjoyed watching. If you have, like and subscribe to the Guna Talk and the Chronicles of Aguna as well. We'll see you very soon. And as always, up the Arsenal. <laughs>